I'm Rhea. I'm Jack. I'm Tony. And we are the Pop Girlers. Our mission? To review anything from pop culture. Our credo? To do so in less time than it takes to listen to a song. Our pledge? To strike when you least expect it. BAM! Mike. Camera. Action. Just gotta get there, override him before he jumps. Just give me the go ahead, he'll never make it to the hole. Check fire, you stick to procedure, bunch. You were recruited to apprehend him, not be his assassin, you understand that? Bunch, I can't hear you, do you understand that? Loud and clear. Welcome back to the Filmography, the show dedicated to watching every credited film from an actor's complete back catalogue from past debut through to present day in chronological order. Each episode, I'm joined by an esteemed guest to watch and discuss the next entry from the Focus Filmography and consider how it ranks them as their career and whether we can trace any typecasting trends or topic traits or theatrical ticks. For episode five, I'm joined by the one and only Blake Biles to discuss the fifth appearance of the Staith alongside multiple Jet Lees in the none more so 90s, The One. We watch, you listen, and hopefully watch along too. So, Blake, thank you very much for coming on the show to discuss this film, which is nobody's bitch. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me, Jack. Um, i really happy to be here, and when you threw this out there, I jumped onto it because I, I thought it might be a popular one, so thanks for having me in this spot. I have to say it was surprisingly popular. So I've seen this just once before at, at some point in my Statham fandom watching you know, as many of his films as I can. But there was a surprising amount of people that wanted to come on and discuss this, actually. Yeah, well, I, I guess the kung fu element is quite popular, isn't it? And I guess you say about the, the Stath kind of filmography, were you, was the Stath big on your radar at that point? Mm. Or were you kind of watching it for Jet Li mostly? No, by this point, I'm already well into this. I'd be more watching this for the safe than I would be Jet Li, I would have thought. <laughs> okay, cool. I came to Jet Li quite late. I think, I don't know if I'd seen any of his Hong Kong movies before I saw him in any Western stuff. Yeah. Bruce Lee I had, Jackie Chan I had, but Jet Li I think is somebody I discovered through probably Lethal Weapon 4, to be honest. Yeah, I'm trying to think back now. Um, I feel like maybe i first saw jet lee in lethal weapon 4 mm. and then around the same time i must have seen him in once upon a time in china and america um so, so like lots of that kind of wire work and you know the kind of crouching tiger hidden dragon is un- unreal stuff but still really good um martial arts and so then this came soon after i think so it was I was just looking back on the on the filmography, and I don't think I've seen anything from either of these guys since like the mid noughts. So oh, really? Very much 
a that kind of early noughts, like late nineties, early noughts time for the both of them for me. Mm. And then, so you you haven't seen any like Expendables, anything like from that era, say? Yeah, I thought that might blow your mind because I I know uh, I'm skipping ahead a bit, but I know that Mm. you do ask you do ask um, how many. Mm. of the state's filmography you've seen so I, every time i listen to your episodes i think hang, hang on how many have i seen <laughs> and so i go through and uh i think i've probably seen six max okay all right and but i've i've never seen yet any of the, the expendables or anything like fast and the furious so no, the big ones no. you, you're not there with yeah so that's i'h uh, maybe i'm an uh, a rarity in your uh in your panel but i thought that might be interesting as well Oh, absolutely. I mean, Mike and I often talk about this sense. One of the first things we ever spoke about, um, genuine chit chat, Mike, was this sense of like, what does it take to be a film fan? And I, yeah, yeah, you know, I I know from listening to you and other people's shows as well, you're not about the gatekeeping in the same way that I'm not. I mean, a film fan is somebody who likes watching films. That yeah, I mean, exactly. it's simply it, right? So, yeah, if you're you're a safe fan because you like the one and you've liked him, what else you've seen? That's then you're a safe fan, aren't you? Well, and it's also. Uh listening to people talk about the stuff it's great to get through that lens so yeah that gatekeeping element is so limiting because you can just get so much joy out of other people's perspectives so yeah what you i think it's a great project that you're doing mm, i appreciate it yeah i'm thoroughly enjoying it so far and you know we've got some really interesting films coming up where he tries to go outside of his comfort zone and we'll see how that goes and then he suddenly blows up and becomes this massive hollywood action star and you know alongside Dwayne Johnson, who we're definitely going to discuss uh, for yeah. this episode. Yeah. He's got to be one of the most bankable stars on the planet now in terms of action movies. Yeah. Well, I think a, a few of you, like you and some of your guests have talked about this already, like that kind of, he, he found his uh, stride, didn't he? He's kind of got this formula, but we're still in the realms of him testing out the waters in different places, which is quite cool. It's kind of, kind of I, I'm hoping I might be able to jump in later in the journey and, We'll see how far he's gone from this point. Um, mm. But you talk about him trying some things, and he definitely tried some things in this movie. Oh, some yes. Things, some things work, some things not so much. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, um, yeah, Max and I and Ghost of Mars touched upon uh, his attempts at accents, and I think we're definitely going to have to break that down a little bit. For sure. So what do you think the six are that you've seen then? Obviously the one. Yeah, so I've seen Lockstock. I've seen Snatch. Um, I've seen the one, uh, the first transporter and crank and the Italian job. Those mm. are the six, yeah. Okay, all right. So, to be fair, as you said, like up until that period in his career, really interesting that you've seen him up to like he's discovered, like he's discovered who he has, and the audience have yeah. found him. And then you've you've walked away from the state, the poor state, you've walked away from him. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, by that point, he is the one, you know, he's got his, <laughs> he's got his ultimate Jason Statham, or he's, he has ascended to the state, mm. as you as you were, um, but um, I don't know, maybe I'll come back, well, I'm going to be, because I'm going to be, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm penciling for a few more, so I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how it develops. Maybe I've been a bit, maybe I've been a bit like prejudiced, you know, like w- when someone gets so big, yeah, maybe I'm, maybe it's my uh, my snobbish sensitivity. It's my hipster kind of like, oh, I liked them before they were cool, you know? <laughs> I like that. Just like um, Dan, Dan Borges as well. He's very much the same. Like, people keep telling me to watch this film. Well, I'm not going to then, because why would I? Because, you know, 
I'm not going to be told what to do. Yeah, yeah. You did make an interesting point in that at the moment, we're still watching that growth and we're going to see him become the state. Yeah. And arguably, have you missed anything? Because he does kind of then just, again, like Dwayne Johnson, like a lot of these action stars, you know, we're harkening back to some of the 80s ones, actually even further back, arguably, 70s ones, maybe even 60s ones, Steve McQueen. These guys were not character actors. Yeah, they were yeah. Hollywood stars. They were kind of idols who pretty much played the same role in every film. And that's true of the state. So yeah, I think you do sure. make an interesting point there. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of like people could say that it's a dilution of films or acting, but actually that's kind of what it was. You know, like as you're saying, it's that kind of Tom Cruise is one of those relics of that industry, isn't it? That kind of marquee studio actor where you kind of play facsimiles of uh, that's the kind of the, the kind of capitalist model right you know what you're going to get that people bank on that if you're a bankable star you know people know what they're going to get so anyway or um and that's fair enough you know no you're right and cruise is the last one isn't it he? he's the last kind of hollywood matinee idol really that's still yeah. doing that everyone else that's come since even if they started that way, your Brad Pitt's, your DiCaprio's perhaps have worked hard to break out of that mould, I think, and show themselves to have that range. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you look at those two that you just gave, you you could look at, uh, say, Troy, Achilles, and then like 12 Monkeys, the difference there. Um, and the same with DiCaprio. He's had like a, a, a wide range. And that's interesting as well, because those guys had that kind of pin-up kind of stigma that they had to elevate you know past to you know you, you make hay while the sun shines you you go down that route but then you kind of want to show that you're you're made of more yeah definitely whereas some people they find their lane and they stick to it and that's where we're out with the state right but if you do it well and he does do it well got to he does that. so the one then why did you pick it what 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 is it in your memory that you remembered about it so much? Why did you want to discuss it? And why did you want to rewatch it and get into it? Yeah, well, I forgot that he was in it. So <laughs> when, when when you when you put uh, this up, this project up, and I was going to go through the list, the one just jumped out because it's it's so kind of, for me, it's so stereotypical of that time. I was about uh, 18 or something when it came out, and... You know, like young dude, and it's got the. I was big into the Matrix, and there's lots of kind of Matrix influence here. I think uh, there's the kind of new metal, heavy metal kind of soundtrack, and it was just. I just wanted to kind of uh, go back for a bit of nostalgia, but from this new context of oh, let's watch this guy, and uh, and I was curious to see how it um, holds up actually because I quite fancied it, although. I didn't, mustn't have fancied it that much because I don't think I've watched it since then. So, <laughs> you know, those ones, it's like, it's the same with Chris and Dave on the VHS Strikes Back. You know, they kind of have these things that they hold up, but then they're like, oh, hang on, I haven't actually watched it in about 20 years. And sometimes uh, it's, a, it's a nice surprise and sometimes it's an anguish uh, torching of a favourite. It's always a risk, isn't it, to delve back in after such a long time. I reckon I'm the same as you. I don't think, I don't think I've seen it since release, or I wouldn't have seen it in the cinema. I wouldn't have seen it then. I don't think. But yeah, since I first caught it on DVD, and that idea of like, I mean, The Matrix. I mean, a, a massive influence, definitely. There's no shadow of a doubt. But there's another film from around this time called Equilibrium with Christian yes. Bale. 
Yes. And yeah. I, I put that in this similar sort of world where like heavily influenced by that, but trying to put a little tweak on it. And again, a film I don't think I've seen since like whenever it was out, like 2001, 2002. Yeah. Yeah. I, I probably haven't seen it since then as well. Maybe I revisited it a few years after that, but it's still been a long, long time. I actually have that penciled in for uh, uh, Chris and Dave's comments mm. in motion, you know, the TVs and movies, because they wanted to get me on there. And I was just thinking, does it count if the comic has been made after the movie? And Dave's so, like, yeah, sure. And so I think we're going to go equilibrium. Oh, nice. That's a good excuse for me to rewatch that too. Yeah. I love it. So The Matrix is a massive influence. New Metal, as you said, is all over this soundtrack. I mean, it is, I think I said in my intro, like, so naughty it hurts, basically. Yeah. What else do you reckon you picked out as being, as this cribbing from? I know it's a little bit reductive sometimes to do that. Think about, like, oh, I can see this film or that in it. But I think here, it all, it all comes together into quite an interesting melange. But what else do you reckon you saw in here from other franchises, other movies? Yeah, so um, just, I mean, stylistically, you know, The Matrix had that green tinge over it, that kind of digital noir type vibes. And this is very blue. This is a very blue film. Um, I mean, it's obviously you can draw to the Highlander franchise. Um, mm. um, they weren't even subtle in that, were they? I mean, no. I, don't know, I wrote that line of dialogue down. I don't know if you can remember it. I think they said it. That they said the phrase, didn't they? They said there will be only one. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. One word change. <laughs> they went to the lawyers for that one. Yeah. Um, and time cop. I think. Mm. Good yeah. shout. What about you? I reckon I also picked out Demolition Man. Yeah, a bit of sure. that in there. Maybe a bit yeah. of the Terminator. That sense of like, yeah, absolutely, will not stop until you're dead. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I thought in the opening introduction, which obviously leads us nicely into the start of the movie, I thought there was heavy X-Men vibes, that voiceover with the graphics coming up on the screen. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, sure. In X-Men, you're seeing like the kind of the DNA, aren't you? But here you're seeing almost like, I don't know what it's supposed to be, like the, the multi-dimensional. Like a wormhole or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely one of those ones where it's been like, oh, I like that. And I'll put that here and... But I do think this has enough of an identity to stand on its own. Right. You think, yeah, so that's hmm. something to explore. Because, yeah, taking from all these movies, it's like a buffet, but is it a whole meal? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was pleasantly surprised, I think, when I finished it. I was like, actually, that was it's short and sweet. It's only sort of 19 minutes, isn't it? Yeah. I didn't get bored. I looked at the runtime. It says 87 minutes, and going into it, I, I was thinking that, so... As soon as the credits popped up, I looked at it and it comes in at like an hour and a quarter or something mm. without the credits. Um, so it's short, sharp and sweet. Um, kind of putting it out there, I feel like there's a, it's a great concept and how far can you go with it? And I almost feel like it's the type of movie that could have had sequels, mm. um, but it just needed a bit of creativity on how to uh, implement that how would you do it and we could talk about it now or later if if you're working through the storyline no no i mean it it whips through doesn't it as you said i, mean, I didn't even realize it was that short without the credits an hour and 15 that's amazing just can't yeah. imagine that now can you add on add on that again and that yeah, would be the one exactly. you'd get in 2022 yeah i i, I thought the same actually it finished and i thought oh i could watch i could watch more of these i think yeah you'd have to do some yeah i'm not sure what, what the phrase is i think yeah 
if it came back and did the same thing, then no. But there, yeah. there, there was scope to open it up, almost like a. I don't mean this in the way it's. This is going to sound disparaging. I don't mean this. Almost like a, a pilot for a TV series. Yeah. Well, it's like Quantum Leap or something like that. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. So what were you Going thinking? Into those different worlds. How would you? I mean, obviously in 2022 as well. I mean, we can't escape the multiverse, can we? Exactly. Yeah. I'm also rewatching Fringe with uh, Tony for our season's greeting show. And that's another spoilage just in case anybody is too late now. Anybody hasn't ever watched Fringe, but that deals with like multiversal dimensions as well. You find that out by season, end of season one, it's fine. Uh, So what would you do? What would you do? What was your thoughts about how you could? Well, yeah, just just skipping into the story a bit, but I think that one of the standouts in this was Delroy Lindo. I liked, I think he was probably one of the better actors in it. Um, and this was a crazy, just a side bit of trivia. Um, I didn't realise, but he was born in Lewisham, where I live. Mm. Um, uh, you know, a borough of London. And uh, but he, I think he moved over to the States as a teen. But talking, bringing up accents again, I never would have picked that he was uh, a Southeast London boy. And has, because I've always ever heard him with an American accent. And he does a much more convincing accent <laughs> than some people. <laughs> Oh, I wonder who. Um, so I I liked, so for the story, uh, Delroy Lindo plays one of Jet Li's characters, um, like the bad Jet Li, uh, Law, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. He plays Law's ex-partner in this, what are, you, what are they, kind of cops of the multiverse or something, mm. I don't know. And, um, and, Eulaw's gone bad, and so it's up to Delroy Linda to chase him. So I really like that dynamic, and because it had there was conviction in it, and so I would like to say see perhaps a prequel where um, that shows them as partners and how it all kind of comes about. Because we're coming in at the end of Eulaw's kind of reign of terror, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, there's only Eulaw. Well, except the film opens, doesn't it, with Eulaw assassinating another version of himself. Which means yeah. there's now only two left. There's Eulaw and Gabriel from these two different universes, which all have really interesting mad names, anywhere from Anubis. No, no explanation why that's called the Anubis universe, to you know, it's called like B52 universe or something. It's just it's, they pick these things around, they're thrown at thrown at a dartboard. Yeah, that would do. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that idea. That's interesting. And I think I agree with you. Daryl Lindo always brings gravitas to everything he does. Mm-hmm. It would add a bit more of that kind of cop procedural stuff which i thought he did quite well but then it almost becomes a shakespearean thing of like you know the um uh obi-wan and anakin the brothers and you know backstabbing or or um loyalties and that type of thing they they could have explored that yeah that's really interesting and i think this film does a good job of that of not having to over explain backstory provide loads of exposition we get one scene where um, Daryl Lindo's character, Rodecker, I think, isn't it, is talking to Statham's character, Funch, I think his name is. I kept, I was really, Funch, I know, I was listening all the way through, like, what is it again? What is it? Um, Sometimes it sounds like it's saying, they're saying fudge. (laughs) It does, it does, yeah. And they have like a very brief conversation just as they're about to split off to hunt down. Uh, Funch is going to look for Gabelor to try and convince him to team up with them. Yeah. Whilst Radek is going to look for Eulaw to try and stop him. He's got this weird bomb, which I don't really understand either. Yeah, that was odd, yeah. And he, they, they, again, there's a hint at like a backstory for Statham's character. He's like, I know you had this happen to you, and but you've got to remember 
not everyone's bad and not everything's going to turn out wrong. And again, there's this little throwaway lines of dialogue, which lets you know, perhaps they were hoping for a franchise or it's quite refreshing to watch a film where they don't have to over explain everything. We don't have to see the, yeah. yeah. We don't have to see Bruce and Martha get killed again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe they were setting it up for something else or maybe it was just like, just trying to keep, keep to the action because that's the thing it's like i was coming back to it i was actually surprised at how little jet lee actually performs you know and you know brings out the, the fight scenes mm. so for them to for them to push more and these other backstories it's kind of like know what you've got and and use it mm, definitely and i think that's where these head uh, heavy time cop vibes came in for me because that's this is yeah. a thing that time cop does well as well doesn't it in terms of playing with with there, it's different eras of characters. Here, it's you know different versions of characters, and yeah. who who may go bad, and who who can abuse this technology. Definitely, I'm I'm liking it more. Actually, I'm, I feel like now we're talking about it, I actually like the film even more than I already thought I did. I mean, the concept <laughs> does work; it's cool. I mean, I think there are definite flaws in the execution. Yeah. I think in the hands of a more experienced, maybe I don't because James Wong has done some interesting stuff. Yeah. I think it might have been his second film. Right, because he'd been heavy X-Files, hadn't he? Yeah, and then I think he did Final Destination before this. Mm. Then the one, then another Final Destination, the Dragon Ball Z one. Mm. (laughs) We both met you. Okay, that's not (laughs) it. But um, maybe in the hands of a more experienced director within this realm. I mean, imagine the Wachowskis getting their hands on this. This could have been amazing, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that could have been interesting, actually. But it's definitely like, yeah, if, if there's, we often talk about these remakes and reboots and recalls as we get them called now and all these different terms for it and, and which ones are worthy of it or not. And often the ones which seem to work better are the films that were average to okay when they were first came out. Like you yeah. wouldn't remake The Godfather, why bother? You wouldn't remake yeah. That's the Future, why bother? But the one is good enough, but there's mileage to do something with it that could really improve it this might be one that's that's due a, a rethink yeah for sure and i mean that's one of the things like whenever they do these like reboots and stuff and it goes to that they're less likely to cast older characters not older actors now aren't they that's always like you got to be all young and sexy and whatever and but because of my kind of prequel kind of theory with them being the cops again that kind of gives there is a good reason to go young because mm. you kind of want to go back in the story and then you could you I mean that you know we could still then get the state if we, you know we could go backwards we can go forwards we can get the state and he can be the the grizzled experienced detective now he'd be in the road role that's a good one actually because yeah I've kind of I'm going to put it out there I thought his character was quite two-dimensional in this one mm. it's just and like his accent and his accent didn't really help like he was trying that kind of transatlantic kind of but He's just kind of mumbling his way through it, like rah, 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 procedure, rah, 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 procedure. And just his sole motivation is how it's kind of like those tropes of like the bad boy. Hmm. And it's just like he's too cool for like these rules and all that. He's, he's like uh, second rate Fonz or something. Yeah. <laughs> and just, yeah, every second sentence he's talking about uh, sarcastically about the procedure. And so it would be nice 
yeah, if he were to come back and he's now, he's the weary, it's that kind of lethal weapon vibe, isn't it? The um, the young upstart versus the kind of seasoned, kind of tired cop. And who, how do you pass that that torch? Oh, definitely. And it's not, I doubt, this. I mean, I think he probably looks back on this as being important in terms of his career and where it was going as a chance yeah. to, and to work with Jet Li and to, sensibly get a, a co-lead role really i mean it's jetly and i yeah. know that um yeah. because he he becomes kind of the next main, most important character once rodek is killed off we do go into spoilers in the show as as you know and anyone that's listening that hasn't listened before sorry spoiler alert for 10 seconds ago much like fringe um but i agree with you i think actually i, I i'm gonna put this to you i, I made a note on it would anything different happen in the film if his character wasn't in it? <laughs> that thought did cross my mind because mm. it's all um, Rodick is running the show mm-hmm. like, in regards to their operations and he's kind of mumbling and grumbling, but he's like the sulky teen following Rodicker. Um Rodicker kind of does, he. I don't like the way he goes. I just thought, all of what they had going on. It was, he had a decent fight with him, you know, like a choreographed fight and everything like that. But I, I didn't like the way he went. But yeah, the Stathe's character is just kind of following Gabe, the good guy, around, just mumbling away, trying to explain stuff to him. Mm. Um, gets beaten up and then watches it all. And I mean, you know, you know what he does? He turns it around at the end, doesn't he? If it wasn't for when they, when they all, we're, we're jumping over the place a bit here, a bit like the multiverse. Hmm. But when they when they kind of warp through it, then he's the one who turns the the tables, doesn't he? So that's true, actually. So for 112 minutes of this film, he affects nothing. But <laughs> in the last two minutes, I mean, as you said, we're over the place, but that's fine. I mean, I don't, we're not going to talk linearly through the story. At the end, of course, Ulaw is defeated. But what they can't do is kill him because they don't know what will happen if there is only one multiversal version of a character left, which is what they're trying to stop in the first place. Yeah, so they exactly. capture him, don't they? And they send him to the Hades uh, version, which is like the prison verse. And then Gabriel goes off to his own little universe, but only, as you said, because Statham's French sends him there. They actually wanted to send him back to his own original universe, didn't they? But yeah. sadly, in his universe, Carla Gugino, his wife, has been murdered by you law yeah so he's kind of he's lost any will mm. to live from that point yeah so they, he sends him to a new universe where he can re fall in love with her and restart his relationship did that did that universe did that give you um back to the future vibes oh okay that's interesting i thought bill and ted yeah 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 like san Same. demas and like the bright colors yeah i mean you know i guess we're, we're looking at five-year period what was it 85 four years 85 to 89 i think it's about right if my, yeah. if my if my memory says correct so yeah definitely i got that feel too it's very like vibrant and colorful and modern but with a like a hearkening back vibe wasn't it absolutely yeah yeah this kind of um utopia of the future where it's like the cleanness and whiteness of the future mm. of the sub of the suburbs brought into like the the city element yeah i thought it was quite funny yeah absolutely one thing, one one thing. Um, so, so yeah, we the the bad the bad Jitley, uh, Ulaw, mm. He's 
one of the things I found weird in that opening scene was, uh, which we've got to give a shout out to um, Dean Norris from Breaking Bad. Did you see <laughs> him in there? That was really interesting. One of the cops, in that, yeah, that's behind the mask and everything, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's kind of talking about the formula and the same roles. He, he very much suits that role. So he's, he's uh, transporting Lawless, isn't he? The, the, the third mm-hmm. Jet Li that we, that we see. And um, Bad Jet, uh, U-Law ambushes them. And that's where we see the very first slow-mo um, fight scene. And what did you think about those, those slow-mo scenes? They were okay, I thought. What about yourself? I mean... The trouble is everything at this time was doing it, weren't they? They were slow mowing yeah. and they were bullet timing. I yeah. guess when you've got somebody like Jet Li, you, you'd rather see what he can do at normal speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind yeah. of what I was thinking. Yeah, that's interesting because I was torn because I recently for the VHS Strikes Back, we watched um, Police Story. Mm. from your know, Jackie Chan and that was it was the first time I'd seen it but I was just blown away and you know I have seen a few other um of his like uh Hong Kong films um but one of the things that really blows me away about that stuff is you you can see the action so much better and I I want to give a plug to a, a, a YouTube channel I really like called Every Frame a Painting mm. and um look that up and uh there's uh they do a great bit on uh, how to do action comedy and they use they use um jackie chan as an example and they kind of contrast between in hong kong cinema you just like the, the camera is often really static and it's like like i was saying a bit before it's like you know your talent use it whereas they contrast with hollywood they always want to cut on the action and so it's like someone throws a punch and then they cut to another shot of the punch landing and what that really does like in one it kind of helps people who aren't really trained martial artists they've had a bit of training but what it also does is you lose a lot of the kind of um balletic motion and Mm -hmm. you know virtuosity of like these people and while i thought that the a lot of the slow-mo stuff was a bit like gimmicky like you say from around that time it was just nice to kind of see an uninterrupted bit of movement from Jet Li because he is mm. so fluid, you know? That's a really good argument. Uh, you're right. That first scene stands out and the next scene that stands out is just after Brodeck has been killed by Yulaw and you get the three cops that turn up to arrest him. You get the cop car, don't you? And yeah. the two motorbike cops. What did you think of that scene in terms of its choreography, CGI? Yeah, I remember that being quite cool when I watched it, but now it's like that was a bit ropey looking with the CGI, like the, the lighting was off and everything, like his body as opposed to the lighting of the the bikes. It's a cool idea. And that kind of makes me think back to you, you, you um, drew on the Terminator, you know, that made me think mm. because of, of the bikes, you know? Yeah. I just, that one didn't work as well as, no. as, I, as I hoped. I always try and feel, I always try and be forgiving in terms of, CGI particularly in terms of like effects because we just know they're doing what they can for the era. We know it's always going to move on. And then you go back and look yeah. at 80s stuff and you go back and you look at earlier stuff and you look at stop motion. Like yeah, exactly. you can still enjoy it. Like Cast Deadly Spell that Dan covered on his podcast last week had some stop motion stuff in it, some puppet stuff. And of course, by today's standards, it looks ridiculous. But 
within the film it works and it's fine and it's fun so i try to be forgiven i know sometimes we can't help ourselves can we and this is really quite cartoony yeah and and i can i can appreciate that in a way because you really want to <laughs> yeah okay so you really want to you really want to kind of have raise the stakes and show kind of what like the Terminator, you know, what an unstoppable force this is. But then at the same time, it also kind of highlighted to me some kind of logical inconsistencies. Mm. So to go back to that first scene, the first slow-mo with um, the uh, Dean Norris Breaking Bad guy. So, okay, so Eulaw has jumped into this universe. He's hidden an event to ambush this guy. And I was actually surprised again how much they use, gently uses guns in this because it's mm. very like a, I don't know, I'd, I, I wouldn't pair him with that. I want to see him fight. But anyway, so he assassinates Lawless, the third, you know, the the third uh, Jet Li, just with a gun. So he's gone straight away. That was quite cool because that's that kind of thing of oh, here's Jet Li. Lawless is the first Jet Li we see, and then he's dead. It mm. kind of gives you that shock of um, what's that Tom Cruise movie, The Edge of Tomorrow, where he mm. like, always dies. And, like, Tom Cruise never dies. So that's that kind <laughs> of nice that nice thing. But so after he's done all this big elaborate ambush and then he just completely smokes out all the cops, he just sprints out the door and then mm. just like runs away on foot. And it's like, if you are a superhuman, like near God level person with your running, jumping, all this, why would you just run in the middle of the road when you got like cars chasing it? Like, it's just the conceit of it is like just to, just so that it could involve cars and car crashes and things like mm-hmm. that. And it's funny because then the uh, Gabe, the good Jitley, he does the same thing later on. He's like just running down the middle of the road and the stage just kind of sidles up to him in the car just to chat to him. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense to me. The powers are really inconsistent. At times, as you said, like they do like the, the running really fast, which the MCU does in Civil War when they have to chase between... Um, Winter Soldier and Cap come after him on a bike and Black Panther. They, do, I think they do that really well in that scene. Yeah, that, but, but then yeah. He, and then he can jump over a wall. But then at other times, he doesn't seem as strong. And Gabriel says, "Because it's the two of us, we both have an equal amount of power." But Gabe doesn't seem to. Yeah, that that that's the sort of thing that where it was like, if you remade this, all of that could be resolved and can be thought out a bit better. Yeah, yeah. In that regard, I kind of did think about it of like the Jedi Sith kind of balance of. They both have the same power, but one person's using it in a different way, you know? Mm. So how do you, it's that kind of duality thing, like how do you balance that? Yeah. But yeah, I, I just it kind of, I just scoffed at that because it's like, mate, if you can run really fast, you can jump really high, jump over these buildings and yeah. these <laughs> cops and the jeeps are just stuck. They're not going to chase you. So That's a really yeah. nice analogy, though, the Jedi Sith bump, because doing that, the bit of research before we're talking about tonight, I'm reading about the fighting styles that Jet Li uses. He does deliberately yeah. use different types of kung fu styles, doesn't he? As the two different Gabe and Yulaw. Now I'm going to butcher these names. I'll do my best. So I read Gabe utilizes Basqua Zhang. Basqua Hang. I'm sorry, everybody who is totally offended by my attempts. And Yulaw uses Jing Yiquan. Jing Quan. And essentially, it's what you've just said. Like Gabe's is about like reflecting his like mindset and being open and he says at one point about like it's like he almost has his like circle of life comment doesn't yeah. he? Like my grandfather told me about that his movements are very circular aren't they open mm-hmm. open palmed circular 
whereas uh, you laws is very bam bam linear absolutely so it's interesting that you made that comparison because clearly they were going for something along these lines that one is about you know cobra kai and, and miyagi-do one's attack and one's defense yeah yeah and i thought they, they they showed that really nicely earlier on in the movie about about halfway through maybe they both do like a, a kata type like practice once they first met each other and they've escaped and they're both and you see gabe doing almost like a um the, the name's escaping me now like, like a tai chi type of that's it movement. yeah yeah meditative yeah. and contemplative and stuff yeah mm. yeah another another one that stood out to me early on in the film was uh so Yulaw gets captured doesn't he and mm-hmm. um so he's put in the seat you know which is kind of like the electric chair but they're gonna transport him to that prison universe that you talked about hades and then this is actually when we get our first female character appears mm-hmm. I don't know how many minutes in, uh, but it's uh, the first, it's that universe's version of TK. Mm. And my, I was watching it with my wife and she scoffed because it's like the first woman you see and it starts at the heels <laughs> and like slowly moves up her legs to her like, sexy form-fitting dress to, to her like, you know, beautiful pouting face. And so she's kind of going in there and you know something's afoot, you know, and um, she sits down to witness the the warp, you know, him getting sent away. And it goes back to her shoes. And on the heel, very suspicious looking heel, a little door, <laughs> a little door opens and a little rat comes out. Well, I say a little rat, but it had like the hugest balls you've ever seen on a on a rodent. And as an antenna sticking out of its butt. And so you're like, okay, here we go. Something's gonna happen. And because we've mentioned the new metal before, right? I think mm. this this is maybe the second, third time you get the like the needle drop and it just goes you see the rat scuttle along and the security guards just starting to notice it and you just get this and the rat <laughs> blows up and it just causes chaos and that's how he manages to escape but yeah that was that was very um reminiscent of those times you know that music and a perfect way i think i, I don't think you could use that type of music in lots of films but mm-hmm. for this film it really worked Oh, massive works, and that's the that's the scene most people seem to talk about in terms of like their memory of this movie is there is that as you said that perfectly like the needle drop and the explosion. I mean, what a crazy concept! You know, like a, a mouse or a rat, you know, whether it's in a hill. I mean, I'm slightly concerned about how they put that antenna on that mouse. Like, where did they put it? Is that super glue? Is that actually up? It's, but I'm not sure. But um, as a concept, it's crazy, and yeah, I mean, there's so many things about. Carla Gugino's character we've got to think about here like I agree that like, the objectification is ridiculous here I mean yeah. Carla Gugino is a beautiful woman don't get me wrong sure. but the, the leeriness of the camera again is so very like Michael Bay early 2000s somebody's been you know James Wong's been watching his movies recently clearly and, and, and so obviously like signposts femme fatale femme fatale yeah yeah but even her name like TK uh, every, another one like Funch and TK like every time people say the names I was like what what why are you calling her TK it's weird and they never explain it it's not like we know it's Tina King or like yeah yeah it's just just a, just a couple of letters that just like they rolled a die or something yeah it's just another weird little moment that I, I guess somewhere in, in the writer's room they've got an explanation maybe there is a two and a half hour cut of this movie out there where they trim loads of stuff down because they wanted that that fast pace but yeah yeah well it's yeah it's funny you say that because that 
because uh, her character does seem quite reductive in a way. Like her main thing is just this kind of maternal, like I need to look after my my husband. And yeah, f- fair enough, of course. But there's like so much more to it. But so after they have, they have this whole hospital scene and uh, Gabe's partners or like, you know, his mates on the force, they take her back to their house to make sure everything's okay. And she has this one because she's kind of she's trying to assist Gabe without his buddies knowing and so she's trying to get away from one of his partners who won't leave her and she just says oh sorry i've just gotta go do girl stuff you know like in the toilet as in the, in the toilet as if he's just gonna be like ugh, ugh, don't talk yeah. about that just go just go no 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 that i have to say like that's a good example of like there's some attempts at comedy in this that just don't work for me there's that there's that moment um and this guy which is um Gabe Law's like friend and partner is definitely in love with Gabe's wife. Like, watch yeah, your back yeah. when he's turned, mate. Um, yeah. But there's also a couple of minutes, all in the hospital, actually, weirdly, where they try to really like bring in some comedy elements here. You have like the like morgue attendant who faints. You have the MRI, MRI like yeah. technician who is like being really snarky, like unnecessarily so. The Pepsi yeah. can like flipping open. And I thought the worst one, as you were just saying, like with the police were watching on a monitor what was going on with um tk as well just it was a really weird shot where they were all like hunched over a computer screen there's like gunshots and explosions and like none of these police are moving they're just stood watching tv watching their mate in a a gunfight it was a very weird moment i thought the comedy didn't land at all what about yourself i was glad that they got out of that hospital i just it just like you say it just felt clunky and unrealistic i just maybe because it was a real hospital i think i read that it's actually in Hollywood and that's where they film scrubs and like, mm. a, like a medical center or something. And so maybe there's just this thing about being on location and just the stress of that. It just things were, didn't quite work out as well as they hoped, especially because for a, for a movie that's so got such a short runtime, they seem to just chew up a lot of time there. Mm. It was interesting. There was one interesting element uh, was when, yeah, the two jet leads kind of meet again and they have a bit of a tussle and then they kind of go their separate ways, but then there's a bit of a case of mistaken identity because obviously mm. no one else knows about Ulaw yet. So they see Ulaw doing some bad stuff on the CCTV and then they assume it's Gabe and then they have this kind of confrontation. One of the best things, again, it was Delroy Lindo. He and uh, the state are kind of holding back and they're just watching through a mirror like kind mm. of surveying the scene and uh lindo is just like yeah nah nah he's okay in their hands it's like just this old hand you know he's been he's been around he's done this before and he's like yeah he's he's safe over there let's carry on with the mission i like that that was probably the, my favorite part of the hospital like in terms of like the story and believability yeah because it was a character beat which told you something about him as you just said it told you about his experience of what he's doing rather than it's a shame because you know I, I liked um Eulor was coming towards was stalking towards Gabe and then the MRI sucked his gun away out of his hand there were some neat little touches but I agree with you yeah that was probably a 20 minute segment that was 10 minutes too long unfortunately yeah for sure yeah because as soon as we move past that we have a couple of these scenes we've spoken about we have the police scene and we have the we have Eulor trying to trick TK he's hiding in the loft pretending to be Gabe, isn't he? Until she figures yeah. it out. And that's when she gets killed, unfortunately. And then 
we're at the finale, really, aren't we? We suddenly race the finale where Gabe has tracked down you law and the status followed along. Like Indian Raiders, do you know what I mean? Like everything's happening and Indy's there, but he's not really affecting anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just put it out there, Raiders is one of my favourite films of all time. But I mean, <laughs> that, that, that is a proven fact now, isn't it? That <laughs> Indy doesn't affect anything that happens in that movie until the very end. Maybe that was the inspiration for the one. It's really um, interesting. Very interesting take. But we get the Jet Li versus Jet Li fight in like this big factory, this big Terminator-style factory, which I don't know about you, I thought was really really well done i thought yeah. the choreography yeah. was excellent the editing was really strong here and the stunt gently i know they did facial mapping yeah but the stunt gently like the way his physicality was so well cast he really matched what Jet Li was doing perfectly oh yeah and but also the choreography is so dynamic you're not really nitpicking at it mm. are you? you're just soaking it up because it, it is all culminated in this you know like that they're going to clash again they've kind of butted heads a couple of times and kind of come away and this is what it's all about and yeah and i I was thinking about this thing with the state you know like his trajectory and that into because soon after this he is doing like uh transporter and things like Mm. that isn't he so i i didn't have a close look i didn't like rewind it but it looked like he did that jump from like one platform to another where he would have been on a wire there's a kind of a cool choreographed um, fight. You know, he gets he gets beaten up and kind of mm-hmm. there's a sweet flip over, which would have been a stunt double because it's like a backwards wire flip. Um, but he's actually, he's getting in there, you know, like that's some quite, how awesome would that be? It's where how many, like five movies in and he's mm-hmm. like, <laughs> he's got a choreographed fight against like a major martial artist, like movie star. That's awesome. That is awesome. And earlier, earlier as well, they had the, the Gabe and Stath character have the um tussle in like the mall or something don't there as well and he's hanging yeah. upside down from the from the balcony you're That's right it. he is suddenly getting stuck in he's definitely a, a his fighting his guns than it is yeah. physical here again isn't it he's still not quite managed to convince anybody that he can use his martial arts in a movie yet yeah yeah no that's true that's true and it, it casts me back to I, I can't remember which one it was which episode that you did maybe it was snatch where you're talking about how in those early days he was that kind of cheeky chappy uh geezer wheeler dealer kind of guy wasn't he and he did get like a clip around the air and kind of knocked on the seat of his pants a few times and i was thinking about it when i was listening to your episodes about his trajectory when you move into those like marquee stars as matinee idols like you're talking about you don't really get knocked on your ass that much mm. do you? you you like you don't you there will be times when you have a dip because you've got to come up you've got to have somewhere to go but because you've talked to other guests about is either state or where, at what point is it and there's those kind of especially in the british films i think people want to root for their underdog geezer wheeler dealer but those types of people still end up on their ass a lot because it's that kind of I don't know if it's like a so, social kind of thing or, but the, the heroes can still very much be um, down and out. And um, I think he still is that in this because he does get 
he's just he's just trailing after Jitley the whole time, <laughs> getting like held over balconies or like knocked over balconies and landing on platforms. And because how long did it take him after that fight to get that gun? It's mm. like, so like, okay, I've had a licking. I'm just going to go crawl over here while you guys do some awesome stuff. I mean, to be fair, I'd be keeping out of it too. <laughs> um, no, that's definitely true. And I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'll look it up when we get there because Hobson sure is, you know, it's going to be right towards the end of this journey. But I know very famously when The Rock and Vin Diesel had their like, sort of knockdown brawl, there was all these rules, weren't there, about like they have to have the same amount of punches. And if one gets knocked down, then the other one has to be knocked down. And it was this macho yeah. posturing. And then we know famously whether it's, I don't think it's for publicity, but it doesn't seem to be. They, they fell out because Vin Diesel sure. didn't like um, Dwayne taking his, his star status away. Everyone was focusing on on Dwayne Johnson in the Fast and Furious movie. So, no, I think that's really insightful. I think that's really true. And something I'd think that I tap into with the state, and you're right, it is a British thing, isn't it? This sense of an underdog or this sense of like maintaining this sense of who you are despite a level of stardom. I don't follow a lot of celebrity culture. I don't really know anything about who's dating who and all this rubbish. But if there's somebody that I like, I, I guess I do... I stay interested in whether they stay true to themselves. Mm. And I think as much as you can tell, he seems to have done that. He's not interested in the celebrity life. Like his kids, I, I've never, don't think I've ever seen in picture of his kids, but he keeps them out of the press. He does seem to have that sense of kind of rooted in reality and who he is and just seems to be enjoying the heck out of what he's getting to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good way to do it. And maybe that's how you stay sustainable in the game. Yeah. And, you know, he's up. Tony talks about this a lot. You know, Ed Norton doesn't get cast in a lot of stuff because he's difficult to work with. He's a really talented actor, probably one of the best of his generation, but mm-hmm. he, he's difficult. He has opinions. That doesn't necessarily make it difficult, but for all intents and purposes, what we've heard from a lot of people is he's quite difficult. People yeah. seem to really like. Jason Satham, people want to cast him in his movies. People seem to have good opinions of him. And again, whatever you think of Tom Cruise, it's the same for him, isn't it? Everyone only ever has something nice to say about him. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he's he's setting up. He's like the boss in a lot of in pretty much everything he does anyway, right? So mm. if you want to stay in the game, I suppose <laughs> you've got to... <laughs> yeah, fair yeah. point. All right, I've got a little game for you. Let's go. So, Jet Li and Jason Statham met on this movie. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many films they have made together? Oh, I think I think I saw this before mm-hmm. in my research. So, I is it three Expendables movies? Um, and War. He's got it. Yeah. All right. I haven't seen War. And I haven't seen any of the Expendables movies, um, which is crazy because I I grew up on all those guys. For some reason, I just haven't gotten there. Mm. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? Like, uh, these guys have worked together five times now. Seem to be six, of course. They're both going to be in Expendables 4. Yeah, right, right. Well, I mean, like it goes back to what you're saying about the state. It's like you're not going to get work if people don't like working with you. Mm. Also, because I was thinking about this because I was just going through the IMDb and that, and uh, Delroy Lindo was also in Romeo Must Die, mm-hmm. which I, I around that time I really loved as well. Yeah, that makes me think of because while I've been listening to your episodes and I've been 
go through every time you ask how many of people watch and I go through his filmography, it strikes me, uh, you know, because you've talked about his ascension to the state and then he has this kind of action star, movie star kind of quality. A lot of his films, I counted it actually, it's maybe about a third of his films are sequels or remakes, mm. you know? So it's like getting into that realm of the kind of, yeah, the formula and mm. finding his finding his style and sticking with it, you know, because it's what is it, the transporters, the mechanic, mm-hmm. um, cranks, uh, the expendables, the, the Fast and Furious franchise, and then a few remakes, you know, the Italian job and mm-hmm. another one. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think... It totally lines up with what you're saying. I can't, I can't put it any better than you have done. I think he's he's found his lane and he's happy sticking in it. And actually, oh, so one, so one jumped to my head and I lost. So I lost my train of thought. Like Parker, I think, is also like another remake, isn't it? Which is him playing a very right. similar character to to like the mechanic and things like that. I think it's that he is now cast because he is the Stath, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you don't get a nickname without creating a, a, a persona but i don't know if i see it as a bad thing i mean way back in my first episode with dan way back he says that you know like two months ago in the annuals of time when i discuss lock stock um <laughs> when, when stace talks about like the, the actors that inspired him to me it just made total sense you know it was yeah. the queen it was clint eastwood it was stallone and actually you can see that you know those little bits of dna in him i think Oh, 100%. Yeah, when you when you brought that up, I remember listening to that and thinking, yeah, I can see that. And and again, it really, it does, um, it does them a service, I think, because some people could be snobby about like action stars and that. But when you look at the kind of constellation of his idols, I mean, they're all amazing. And it's, mm. it's just a type, it's a type of cinema, isn't it? But I think, uh, you know, you can try and hang off the coattails of legends, but he he's there because of his own talent you know and his charisma you know he's a good looking dude he can be physical and he's got charisma you know like your other guests have talked to you know and yourself have talked about his charisma and it's just a star power isn't it mm. so yeah good on him i mean he's literally a guy who was you know selling stuff on the streets when he was discovered by guy Ritchie. he starts to write roles for him and then look at you know look at where he ends up and it's not yeah. a long period of time really was it 25 years? Just suppose, you know, it's a couple of decades. But I mean, what I means he knew? Well, he wasn't a child star. He was, I mean, like, yeah. It, it all seemed to accelerate really, really quickly. And then, as we said a few times now, like he found his place and he's like, I'm comfortable here. He's kind of a, a mainstream B movie star, isn't he? Yeah. 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 And, you know, your other your guests, you know, you've commented on like, he must have had great representation great agent great manager because of his ascension but just like to look at the guy you know like these kind of qualities we've put out there i reckon if you got in the room with him you'd just be smitten wouldn't you Mm. i reckon as a casting director or whatever you'd just be like this guy he's he's got it you know he might not have at that point he might not have the cv but he's he's got it Mm. and let's let's jump on on that I can imagine him like really turning on the charm, a bit cheeky chappy. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely. So we've spoken about it quite a few times already this episode, but this was originally a Dwayne Johnson vehicle. I'm sure you saw that yourself in your research. The one was going to be The Rock. 
which yeah. would have been fascinating, right? Because they've gone on to have a career together where they've got good chemistry, actually, the Statham and the Rock. Yeah. What do you think that would have done for this movie? How do you think it would have played out if it had been the one with the Rock and the Statham? I think for them it would have been good. I think for us it probably wouldn't have been as good. Um, I think uh, they probably would have been able to bounce off each other really nicely. I just, you know, The Rock is a physical dude. Obviously he comes from like a fighting thing, but it's not, it doesn't have that element that um, I think Jet Li brought to it. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think, to compare it to another film, like what, what, what do you think it could have been like? Because we've we've gone to things like um, Time Cop, for instance. So, mm. um, uh, JCVD, it's like he's balletic as well. He and I, so there's all these moves and it's graceful. And I I think The Rock would have just brought more brawn to mm. it. And I'm not sure if that would have been quite the same. But what do you think? No, it's interesting, isn't it? They sort of feel like they occupy the same space, don't they? I say it would have been like a street brawling character. And then what does the stage bring to it? Because he's not funny here. He can be funny, but he's not funny here. And would The Rock have tried to be funny here? I mean, again, like, so The Rock turned us down to do The Mummy Returns, I guess, to play, and then to go on and be the, the Scorpion King. He, he wasn't The Rock yet. He, well, he, he was The Rock. He wasn't Dwayne Johnson yet. He went the other way. That's right. he, went from a, That's right. he went from a the to, to reclaiming his name. That's um, interesting, yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think actually we got the better version of the film. I would still watch that version of the film, but I think we need, as you, as you said, we need the fluidity, we need the, 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 the action star status of Jet Li combined with the more straight man that the state is. At the moment, he is always the straight man, really, at this point yeah. in his career. Yeah. I mean, so you haven't seen Hobbs and Shaw, I assume. No, I haven't, no. So that is very much, and I think Scott was the first person I, I saw say this, so shout out to you, Scott, 20th, 20th Century Geek. He compared that from to Tango and Cash. Right, yeah, okay. And that yeah. sense of like, these guys are kind of the same, but they do a slight little twist that makes them slightly different. And then yeah. ultimately, you know, they butt heads. I you know that classic story. Hobson Shaw does yeah. exactly that, exactly that, and almost kind of follows some plot beats too uh, that are similar. So I think maybe... In another 10 years, we would have got that film here. But yeah. they weren't ready for that, I don't think, at this point. No, for sure. That Tango and Cash one's interesting, because I, from just from what I've seen from the outside, I, I could buy into that. Mm. Well, if you're joining me on this journey, then you've got a lot of, uh, lot of I hope, enjoyable, safe movies to watch, and you can, you can see it for yourself as we go. Yeah, yeah. Does he... Um... Does he just stick with his own accent these days or how does it work? Has he, has he worked on it? I think he's decided or somebody tied him or this good agent that he's got or the next good agent he's got has said, like, no bother, mate. Yeah. He does it a couple of times. He does it in the transporter, doesn't he? He tries again. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think I described it as all over the map. It's, I'm not sure where he's supposed to be from in America, but it's not one clear place, is it? Somewhere where they eat gravel for breakfast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or marbles or something. Um, you know what? I'm just thinking now, maybe one of the reasons I tuned out, uh, I think maybe the last one I saw was The Transporter, because I am I was a big Hitman like, video gamer. Uh, I liked that franchise. And maybe when I saw The Transporter, I thought, oh, here we go. This could be a bit of a proxy 
hitman mm. um game and when it wasn't i was like oh, okay fair enough but i think i i think i liked it i don't know what are the sequels like spoilers i don't know just the second one is one of my favorite stage movies transporter 2 is unadulterated overblown cartoony comic book genius i used to live with my sister who um is a fellow comics emotion podcaster uh, we used to be obsessed with that film. We used to watch it all the time. It's so good. The third one's oh, fine. Yeah, I, I like the first Transporter, but the second one is, it just, it, it's another one of those things where it's like, okay, we know what worked in the first one. And actually we're going to up up those to the point they want to be, but add in a bit more. Yeah. Sometimes that can fall flat on its face and you get all the wrong elements combined. In Transport 2, for me, it really, really works. Nice. I look forward to hearing it. Uh-huh. I look forward to getting that. I love that film. You know what? I just I just remembered just a little bit of trivia. No, please. Um, I read this somewhere, and I don't know if it was like a... I haven't read this anywhere else except for just like someone's kind of user comments. So I don't know if it was premeditated or, or if this person's just reading into it. So, you know, you have these different names. And um, so you had Lawless at the start, and then you have... Um, Gabriel Ulaw is the bad Jet Li, and then the good Jet Li is Gabe Law. So you have Gabriel Ulaw, mm-hmm. Gabe Law. If you made those names the same, what you have to take out of the bad Jet Li's name is real you. Mm, Did you see nice. that? I didn't see <laughs> that. Interesting, eh? Yeah. Like, I wonder if that was that has to be intentional. That has to be intentional. For the train spotter. Yeah, I mean, I never would have found it by myself. No, neither. <laughs> but I'm, glad, I'm glad that you pointed it out. And just to, yeah, uh, before we wrap up, I just, one of the nostalgic things about the film was, um, you know, when at the very start, when, well, they use it throughout, but the first time I laughed when they're chasing, they're chasing uh, Ulaw through the wormhole thing and they bring out their little phone device things mm. that tracks the, the, the jump time. Didn't it just, just look like an old, like, clamshell, like Alcatel phone? Like with okay. a bit of like special <laughs> effects on the top, very like linked back to those uh, early noughties. I have funny. to say, all the props. The, I mean, I'm going to call them future props. And actually, before we wrap up, let's talk about that. It's just jumped back into my head. All the props I thought from the kind of prime multiverse that um, Statham's comes from and that um, Ulaw comes from looks really shonky. Like the guns, <laughs> as you said, like. Yeah, that they're almost like um they've got like an alien style. Is that the thing you're talking about? Like the clamshell alien style, like yeah. tracker, yeah, yeah. All yeah, of that I yeah. thought looks a little bit cheap, which is a shame when some of the other stuff you know look pretty decent. Maybe they yeah. just run at the budget by then. Well, it's kind of like that video game. Have you ever played No Man's Sky? Where it's like supposed to be like this procedurally generated universe and they like advertise it as being all these kind of really cool um different planets you know with different wildlife and stuff but when it first started people would go to a you, you kind of rocket across space to land on this planet and then you just got like the dud planet with like oh, okay sludge and like hardly anything there and so maybe like their universe was just really shitty because you know like their their gun looked like something out of like an old space porno or something you know like <laughs> <It> a <did. laughs> phallic kind of like a water pistol or something that's going to shoot bubbles or absolutely so yeah, what do you think of like the the multiversal technology? At times, I mean, you mentioned quantum leap earlier. 
it kind of felt like they were traveling through time as well to me anyway i don't know if you if you thought that too it all seemed relatively contemporary as in like a hundred years or something mm-hmm. but like nothing ever seemed way out the hades place looked the worst but even that still had a very much like a judge dread kind of mm. vibe to it you know like a wasteland and you know kind of dystopian thing uh my wife laughed at the uh you know when they're kind of going through the the headshots of all the all the versions that you laura's killed mm-hmm. and they've just got all these ridiculous wigs and um yeah she, we thought like it must have been a fun time yeah in the studio <laughs> like putting on all these dress ups just to play these different versions of himself um i i would have liked to have seen like the multiverse side of it explored more or explained more in a way not like the lore of it because you know we've been through plenty of stuff like that but um just to manipulate it oh you know just while i while we're talking about this version mm. and we the, the, this element and it was the special effects um how some of it was quite shoddy. One one part I liked was when they would go through the wormhole of like the warp mm. and like they, they, they would kind of fragment and they were really tortured. It kind of looked ropey, but it was quite um, terrifying. And it made me think like, yeah, that's probably what it would be like. Your body is like coming apart, like atomizing or something, mm. going somewhere else. And it kind of made me laugh thinking about like... Uh, Star Trek. I'm sure someone's probably like spoofed this, I mean, like Family Guy or something. Where like with Star Trek, where they just really nicely get like a um, beamed up or whatever. And whereas this, they're all like in agony and writhing mm. and just coming to pieces. What did you think about that element? I mean, I think it's a shame. This is the one time like, well, you know, we, the effects really affected it for me because it really took away from it. Because I again, same as you saying, I love that concept. It was really interesting that yeah because they were like like shouting out and calling out when they like when they were being being teleported and to think that Jet Li's character Yudo is willing to put himself through this like a hundred and odd times in order to gain this power it yeah I really like the concept but the effects just really drug like really took away from it for me unfortunately but yeah absolutely again another another thing that could really be interestingly be explored in a prequel in a sequel or a tv show or if anybody wants to get you and me to do it Blake we're here aren't we we can uh 100%, 100%, yeah. We've got yeah. a lot of ideas that we can take forward. But I'm sure, like, now you've mentioned Star Trek. I don't know how big a Trekker, Trekkie, I don't know what the right term is nowadays you are, but I'm sure I heard or read somewhere that actually when they use the porting technology, it's creating a, it's killing them and creating a a copy of them. <laughs> wow. You know, it's like, rep, you know, like the replicator, which is where they have they sure. get the food. I'm sure I heard somewhere that actually what it's doing is replicating them. So every time they do that i may be completely wrong and i may be about to get late i mean i'm sure chris the massive star trek fan will be all over this and, and having a go at me later but um i'm sure I yeah, lis- that listeners let us know let us know yeah. <laughs> that's really interesting that's a really interesting concept yeah i mean like you said there's so much that could be explored mm. here one of the one thing when i did start thinking about it like that like mm. you say how you law goes through it so many times i kind of rolled my eyes a little bit at that in the final scene where it's that mistaken identity thing again isn't it they've they both look the same which one's the bad guy <laughs> and then and then one of them one of them gets up and just like starts walking away and says oh it's that guy down there surely the dude who's done it like over a hundred times 
will be the one who's going to be able to get up first. Yeah. Even, yeah. <laughs> even the Stath is still like writhing around. And they just instantly believe him. It's like, oh, okay, fellow who's just got up and was walking away isn't bothered by it. I just didn't, I didn't buy that part. Yeah, no, fair. I mean, I guess they're trying to add that little bit of tension where there is none, isn't there? Because, I mean, it, there are some really comical moments. Like, before they have the big fight, which we've said, it was really well choreographed and, and executed. But, like, you could see somebody had a little note on set that day. Oh, we've got two Jet Lees that look exactly the same. How are we going to differentiate? I know, this one can put his shirt down a little bit. <laughs> it needed to get ripped by the other Jet Lee, at least. Like, have a little moment as the fight starts. And then exactly. one gets a bit, it's like, hang on, I must reveal that I am the baddie. So here's a bit of my, yeah, anyway. it's like prison rules or something. Yeah. <laughs> All intents and purposes, though, this was a success, right? So yeah. 49 million budget, 72 million box office. Wow. Not yeah. bad. And obviously, Stath had a dud previously. So for him, he's sort of back on track. In fact, his I think it's definitely, films... it's definitely an ascension, I think. Mm. As you said a few times, it's a nice step in the right direction for him. Box office is back turning turning into um, profit for him as well after Turn It Up and after Go to Mars. So yeah, it's it's going to be an important one, I think, in terms of the the path that he's on and to see where he goes from here. All yeah, right. and I mean, soon after he he was in war as well, wasn't it? So it's like he is getting this repeat business. Mm. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I think it's just jumped into my head again. We really are all over the place tonight. But um, again, I may be wrong, but I think they wanted him for the Hitman movie. Right, yeah, that would have been cool. Like you saying that, and then it, it was in my head, and then it went, and then that's come back. I think maybe he was on the list, because it ends up being Timothy Oliphant, who I absolutely love in Deadwood yeah, and Justified. And, great actor, yeah. But not necessarily right for that role. I don't think so. And this is the thing is that I'm kind of stuck on like the voice of Hitman as well. You know, when you have like these voice actors. Um, but maybe it would have been a good one for the state because he wouldn't have had to use his uh, transatlantic mm-hmm. accent. He could just be trans-European. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before I get your final rating for this, I'm going to delve into my letterbox as I do. I've got some interesting ones for this. What? So this is from James Haves. What do you get when you mix Jet Li, Multiverses, Jason Statham doing a terrible American accent, the writer Final Destination, the director Final Destination, a shitload of recognisable late 90s, early 2000s metal, kick-ass kung fu fight scenes with bursts of Matrix-style slow motion. A fucking awesome movie, that's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> we know where he stands on that. To counterbalance, it's also nice to have a counterbalance, isn't it? Sure. A scary ghost does not agree. The one is so terrible, I can't even believe it exists. Um, the more Jet Lees, the better, I always say. And the one features two Jet Lees fighting each other with terrible new metal remixes playing in the background. I mean, I'm not sure they remix it, so that's, I'm going to pick that out. Um, yeah. I'm not even going to comment on the, non- on the nonsense plot because who cares? Jason Statham should have been blacklisted from Hollywood after this, though. <laughs> I mean, Harsh. He's, he's going he's gonna to enrage this Statham fan over here. Mike told me that on Ghost of Mars, he liked, he liked the fact that I was sticking up for the state and he was enraged that they were coming after our boy. Well, I mean, imagine how I feel after this one. You must be seething, yeah. It's <laughs> disgusting. And this is from AJ Black. How can you possibly dislike a movie that has Jet Li frequently kicking ass to the tune of 90s hard rock? <laughs> Answer, with great difficulty. 
The one has as many flaws as good points, yet somehow it manages to balance them out and deliver an end result that simply entertains on a very basic switch your brain off firmly level, which I think is essential what we've been saying. Yeah. This has Delroy Lindo and Jason Statham as the two multiverse cops hunting him. Well, this is before the Statham, before Jason, see, I can't help myself. This is before Statham became the state. So he's not quite as awesome, but he's still Statham, even supporting crap American accent. And I think that's the perfect place to, to leave off on other people's view. Well, I did a bit of planning. Please. I like a little bit of planning. And I, since I've listened to a few, and I've got a couple of reviews here as oh, well. Oh, go for it. I love it. Okay. So um, Matt Lynch, three and a half stars. He says, deeply silly, deeply satisfying. I want to live in the universe where this got a ton of D, uh, direct-to-TV sequels. Also, the ending is flat out terrific. So Matt Lynch agrees with us on the yes, kind of potential. Um, Matt, another Matt says, and the Matt to love this one, Matt also gives it three and a half stars. He says, unabashedly silly, but very fun and fast-paced early 2000s jetly sci-fi action movie that was my kind of shit when I was 14, and it still is now. <laughs> a, movie, a movie so early 2000s that it contains not one, but two Papa Roach needle drops. <laughs> Uh, a movie has strong supporting cast Delroy Lindo, Jason Statham Still rocking a little bit of hair, believe it or not mm. So a nice little bit of a, a nod there uh, Lots of fun action scenes uh, Some other people weren't as interested Because I, I knew you like to go both sides uh, Joel Dusha gives it two and a half stars He says, this was not good But it had a rat with distractingly huge balls in it. <laughs> So at least it was memorable Yo Roboto gives it two and a half stars and says, a bomb stuffed up the rat's ass, detonating in perfect sync with the ooh-ah from down with the sickness is perhaps the image of new metal cinema. The premise of a person traveling through alternate realities, assassinating their other selves and absorbing their power deserves a better movie. The Jet Li versus Jet Li finale fight is fun. Lots of store brand Matrix stuff, but also a few cool moves actually shot well. The ending is perhaps the single greatest moving e- movie ending ever. No, I won't hear arguments to the contrary. <laughs> the concept and finale have been absolutely burned into my brain, bonded to my DNA for the past 20 years, but I rightly forgot basically everything else about the movie. <laughs> sure. So even though they have it two and a half stars, they're still seeing, you know, like the good sides of it. Absolutely. So. I have to say your impression of that, that part, that... <laughs> I don't know what to call it, but that vocal cue is really <laughs> impressive. It's really on the money. Thank you very much. So yeah, I th- I feel like I can I can uh, relate to some of the stuff that they've mm. said in there, and like yeah, even the people who rated it poorly still kind of had a bit of love for it. I I wasn't I hadn't seen it in about twenty years, mm. and I was worried like, oh, how's this gonna stand up? And after watching it again, I don't feel like it was a lot worse than I remember. I don't feel like it was any better than I remember. And maybe at one hour and a quarter, it's really hard to um, to really mess that up. I don't know. What did you think going back? Yeah, I think I liked it more than I thought it was going to. And then, you know, I'll just repeat myself from earlier in the episode. I think I've liked it more the more we've spoken about. I think we've highlighted some of the really strong points of it. And actually, the stuff that, that we, we've picked out uh, uh, they're all forgivable sins yeah 
it's 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 a fun, fast fighting flick. That's it, isn't it? Yeah, thanks for thanks for bringing me on to have a look at it and have another trip down. Like you say, with all these reviews, it's the same with the VHS, and that it, it's like just talking about it as well can sometimes elevate it some more. Absolutely, yeah. So, in terms of the state, then, are you going to go for classic, worth catching, or completers only? Where do you think it sits amongst his forty-one strong so far? It'll be interesting to see how many classics we get. You know, how many we get within each category. Where do you think this one falls? Yeah, so in the last episode, uh, Ghost to Mars, uh, you guys did it with, uh, I think Max yeah. chose it within the realm of what he had already done as well. I think I think that, but regardless of if it were what he has done now and what he's got over the whole filmography, I would go, I would go classic mm-hmm. um, because it's on the cusp of he's, he's ascending to the state right um and after the few after the last two kind of forays into hollywood i don't know i wonder what he was feeling like at the stage like, was mm. he like well this one really has to kind of step up um and i think it did and so yeah i would go classic this has got to be the film that got him the transporter right yeah and then the sure. transporter is the film that got him everything from that point onwards i think is yeah, what I'm going to yeah. feel like I'm going to need to argue when I get to that movie. <laughs> yeah, I, it was. Um, I think it's probably quite different from where he's where he's come to, but uh, I think it's one to watch, and especially like at one and a you know, like eighty-seven minutes or something. It's it, it moves quickly. Mm. All right, and then one final final thing in honor of Mike Burton, he is asked. I start to do some state stats so for right. each film we've got some categories he wants to know does the state get a snog does he get a shag does he get slayed and does he go to skins so for those who aren't maybe southern british i'm not sure does he get his top off does he get his you know does he get his guns out is, is it are the guns out for the for everyone yeah what do you, what do you reckon those four categories any of those appear in the one uh no, I don't think they do, do they? No, sadly not. He, he's very single-minded in his mission in this, and no time for. Well, I mean, by the sounds of it, with Ghost of Mars, it didn't sound like he had time for <laughs> it either. But he, he, he sounds like he made time. But no, none of that in this. Um, I'm not too bothered about that. No, I, I'm not sure it's <laughs> going to be a, a barometer of quality. But it, I'm looking at it in front of me right now. There's a lot of zeros and not many ones. So mm. he's only had one snog in Ghost of Mars and he's died twice in Turn It Up and Ghost of Mars. That's all we've got so far. So all of this is to come from the Statham and Future films. Yeah, so you could tell me, like, does he, when he was kind of finding his way, finding his brand, did he kind of foray into any, like, uh, romantic comedies or dramas or anything like that? No, he's been very single-minded in what he's going to, going to give you. A couple of villains... In the name of the king, fantasy flop. Other than that, it's pretty much yeah, geezers and fighters. Yeah, and we're here for it. Oh yeah, hundred percent here for it. <laughs> for the next two years, it turns out. In my case, <laughs> yeah, nice one. All right, mate. Thank you so much for coming on. 
what uh, you know, what I'm really trying to do so far is just trying to get like fresh voices, something different every time. So I'm so pleased when you are, you volunteered to come for this one. I really appreciate it. What else have you done that people can go back and listen to, or what else have you got coming up, or other appearances have you got on any other shows that maybe people can tune in? Yeah, thanks. So um, yeah, you can hit me up on Twitter uh, at Blake Biles. That's B L A K E B Y L E S. Uh, I'm not massive on there, but I love to hear like any feedback and comments and stuff. Um, I've also been on Indie Comics Spotlight with Tony, uh, doing Blankets and Habibi by Craig Thompson. By Craig Thompson, and Habibi featured Ria as well, who you, you mentioned earlier, and we had great discussions there. I love going on Indie Comics Spotlight. Uh, I was also on 20th Century Geek. You mentioned Scott as well. Uh, we had a look at a short story again, a horror. Um, which was, um, I'm glad he got me in. I'm glad I committed without really mm-hmm. um, looking into it because I'm not a, really a horror person, but I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, Scott Scott was a great guy. Um, so check that out as well, 20th Century Geek. Um, I'm also on YouTube, uh, Blake Biles, again, to search me up there. I've got a few uh, kind of video essays I've done there through my course, which I've just finished. Um, and yeah, and I hope to kind of be in this comics emotion sphere again for some more chats. Uh, I mean, you're you're here now, and you you can't once you're in, you can't escape. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, all of a sudden I've got a massive list of like books and 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 uh, shows and stuff to watch. That's good, and the community is such a a great one as well. It happens to us all. Like I, same as you, Tony hit me up and he said, like, "Oh, do you want to come and talk Serenity comics?" I was like, "Okay, I've never done anything like this before. I'll give it a go." Here we are, like eighteen months later. You just get sucked <laughs> in, and there's no escape. But I have to say, like, I mean, all the stuff I've had with you and Blake has been great, but I really enjoyed that one with you and Scott on, um, remind me what it's called? Again. On Again. I always think of, like, Awake or Alive, but I think that's because I'm thinking about potentially the end of that story and giving it away to people. But, um, yeah, I thought it was fascinating that conversation continued to you because you were bringing so much of your outside knowledge into that story. Um, It was fascinating hearing what you had to say. Oh, thank you, yeah. It was the thing with the shorts. That's the beauty of short stories. Like there's a real like uh, economy of space and time. So it really, a good story can take you off into these different tangents, right? Mm. And that, again, that's what these podcasts are great for to kind of unpack stuff. Like uh, a 87 minute um, thrill ride of uh, multiverse action. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you, mate. And thank you everyone else for listening and partaking in this journey with me through the stakes filmography. I've been I'm Jack's Musings, that's J-A-C-S, and you can find me on Twitter where I am also most active. You can also contact the show directly on Twitter under the name Back to the Film Hog. Make sure you use the hashtag follow the filmography. This show has been presented to you by the Pop Grillers, a collection of hive minds who provide spoiler-free reviews of anything from pop culture in less time than it takes to listen to a song. I'm also a proud member of the Comics Emotion family, a super place full of the world's greatest people dedicated to bringing you podcasts on a variety of geeky topics. So please make sure you take the time to search, subscribe and rate our shows whenever and wherever you listen. Until next time, be excellent to each other and make sure you take the time to treat yourself too. I am Jack signing off. Yippee-ki-yay, movie lovers.